0: Hello, Disruptors. Thank you for all who have joined us for our conversations on Practice Disrupted. Janine and I are taking a much-needed break through the new year, something that I hope each of you are able to do.
1: We're up to our fifth episode of replaying our Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion series. This is the first time that we've ever played these episodes in sequence as a series. So we thought that it would be a powerful experience to revisit them and learn how we can continue to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion in architecture. The premise of this series is to explore race, equity, and identity through storytelling. We've set up the framework, and our friends have come on the show to help shape each and every episode. Their lived experiences really are what bring the series to life. Today's episode is number 53, Immigrant Architects. This episode originally aired on September 30th of 2021, and it features the experiences of four immigrant architects and emerging professionals who are actively leading the profession of architecture forward.
0: I hope you enjoy these episodes on diverse voices as much as we have enjoyed pulling them together. We will be back with new content in season 6 as well as episode 101 in early February.
2: My name is Jowan Low. I own a small architectural practice in Culver City, California. I came to the States when I was 17 years old to pursue a degree in architecture. I have always wanted to be an architect. Lego bricks, perspective drawings and computer renderings fascinate me since I was a kid. But it was not until my high school years I decided to chase my dreams overseas. I grew up in Macau a tiny city with strong ties with Hong Kong, because Macau and Hong Kong were both occupied by the Portuguese and the British governments. Many of you might have known Macau as the Las Vegas in Asia nowadays, but it was nothing like that before it returned to China. Back in the days, you see many Europeans hold major political positions in Macau. In a typical large company, you can see Chinese worker, working at lower to mid-level positions, while all of the management positions were filled by white Europeans or even Americans. No one ever questioned this organizational structure. Equity was not a thing in Asia, and no one talks about it. I believe subconsciously, I always thought that white people are, are smarter. After all, Macau and Hong Kong were under Europeans' control, and I always wanted to be successful. I always wanted to become one of them. That is when I start thinking about studying overseas. There were college fairs in Macau from time to time when colleges and universities from abroad come and recruit international students. One of the college representatives would start talking about how great U.S. is. It is the most advanced country in the world, which is true, but most importantly, it is a great giant melting pot where everyone with different backgrounds live peacefully together Everyone's opinion is value, and we do not discriminate against each other It is a land of opportunities I questioned this a bit at first, but I told myself that it could very well be true You see on TV all the time, when a bunch of white people cheering for these all-black basketball teams they truly don't discriminate each other. And I always fantasize how successful I would become after I obtained my architect license here in the U.S. Of course, it is simply not true. I studied architecture in Iowa State for almost four years. I remember one of my professors would make fun of my accents in front of the class. I remember one of my classmates told me to go back home after 9 one happened. He said I don't belong here. I remember no one wants to team up with me for group projects. There were times when I wanted to just pack my stuff and go home, even though I tried so hard to be one of them. But eventually, I come to realize that I cannot simply hide from who I am. If I could take a time travel and redo this all over again, I wish I could have managed my expectations a little bit better and not to believe all the false information that I was given to. I always wish I was better prepared in terms of developing my speaking and language skills. But I don't mean to sound like my experience here in the U.S. is nothing but awfulness. I never regretted coming here to, to the States. I met many great peoples, including white peoples, of course, over the years and received a lot of helps. And quite frankly, I don't think I would ever have the courage to start my own firm if I had not endured what I encountered during my college years.
3: My name is Gloria Clotter. I am an architect originally from the Dominican Republic, and now I am a licensed architect in Florida. I used to have my architecture firm back in the Dominican Republic, which I started in 2009 until I came to live to the United States in 2015. I recently opened my firm, Glow Architects, in Florida, in 2020. When I was back in the Dominican Republic, one of the main things that I experienced was that I was not only able to design my projects as any other architect would do, but I also had the freedom to work as the GC and get involved with the site and make decisions on the construction part of most of my projects. This is something that is very common back in the Dominican Republic, especially with 13 levels of projects. I wouldn't do that with a multi-level building, but I was able to do it with some of the projects I got to work with, retail stores, restaurants, and residential projects too. When I came to the United States, I wasn't able to just transfer my architecture license and start my business business because obviously my architecture license was not valid here. So I had to go through the whole process of getting my license transferred to Florida, you know, reporting all the hours, validating my education and taking the AREs. After I completed my process in 2019, I was able to start my architecture firm here in Florida. And some of the differences I've seen is There's just a lot of liability involved in this country. I am thankful that I was forced to take all the exams and going through the process of having to report hours under a licensed architect here in the United States, because even so I had many years of experience on my home country. There's a lot of differences that I just didn't know and didn't understood that I needed to know at the moment when I just arrived to this country. Still I'm in constant ongoing learning process on how things work in this country, but I feel way better prepared after going through those years from 2015 until 2020 that I was working for another firm and just taking the exams and kind of understanding how everything works. Everything is just very different to what I was used to back in the Dominican Republic. I feel that I have a lot more freedom, but a lot less of liability back in my home country as an architect. Here, there's just a lot of scenes that works different. Uh, being familiar with building codes, for example, was a big deal because we have building codes back in the Dominican Republic, but they just don't compare to how complicated things are here.
4: My name is Graciela Carrillo. I come from Bogota, Colombia, and like a lot of immigrants in this country, I moved to Long Island, New York to start a new life and to continue my education. In Colombia, I went to architectural school. Then I worked for six years as an architect until working for the government, something really bad happened. My boss, Or supervisor at that time unfortunately got killed so safety of the people that worked directly for that person was in jeopardy so I decided I needed to leave the country and start a new life so I applied for a few jobs here in New York and I moved in 2003 to Long Island and when I moved here I realized that even though I was an architect from another country, my education was quite different from the architectural education that you have here. So I realized I needed to learn a lot in order for me to feel that I could perform well in a job. First, I needed to change my thinking about the unit system, the metric system. I needed to learn about the building codes here. I needed to learn about MEP systems here. It was a lot of different areas that I definitely didn't feel comfortable. So since the beginning, I always knew that I needed to enroll into more schooling and that I needed to learn by myself everything that I thought I was lacking. I went to Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, New York for a master's and I learned a lot about different areas and how people communicate it's a different environment than working in a firm. So it definitely helped in adapting into the culture. And then after that, I got also lead accredited. And I also did a certification as a building code enforcement official. So I think that I never really stopped getting Educated, I think this is something that I will continue because uh, it it definitely helps for an immigrant to feel like if we are more educated, we can be more competitive. And coming from another country with a degree from a university that nobody knows here, uh, I think that's something that is not very helpful. So that's why I basically, dedicated the first, I would say, maybe seven, eight years as just starting to be more competitive and also to achieve my licensure, which I finally was able to get my license a few years ago. My name is Shahad Sadek. I am originally from Iraq, but I was born
5: and raised in Abu Dhabi, UAE. In the Middle East, in some countries, you don't get the citizenship by being born there. It has a much more complicated avenue than that. So during the time I grew up in Abu Dhabi, there was virtually no real way to become a citizen. So we remained Iraqi. While growing up in Abu Dhabi, I went to a British private school and always thought that I was gonna go to the West for my higher education. So I ended up coming to the United States of America. I went specifically to Springfield, Missouri, at Drew University, and I wasn't sure what I wanted to study. While others had something they loved, I always felt like I didn't have something that called me directly. I had like almost many things that called to me. And so it's very difficult to choose but because of that i went and had a conversation with the dean and found out that architecture is probably the best way to develop critical thinking and for the most part in my life i've been studying uh, a lot of in the box kind of subjects like mathematics physics chemistry and so on so to have access to critical thinking i thought i will follow up with architecture because i was a iraqi citizen and there was the Arab Spring in the Middle East, I applied for asylum because there's a lot of complicated past with my family in the Middle East. So I'm an asylum seeker and that's how I started my career in America, through asylum seeker, not through F1 status. My work permit is based on my case, which is still being adjudicated uh, with USCIS. So I started my career in Kansas City, Missouri. I worked for a small firm and there's when I realized that mentorship was not something that they valued. And so I only realized that by joining AIA Kansas City and talking to my peers. Uh, And I created my own benchmarks of development and growth and I realized that I was falling way behind. And so I thought mentorship was gonna be my goal to develop for other people for people like me especially for international international architects or immigrant architects that don't know or don't have the ability to create those benchmarks just because they don't have access to those relationships or maybe their aia isn't as has a strong membership as kansas city did and so that's where i uh found my path to leadership and found avenues for developing soft skills and i think it's very valuable space for a lot of emerging professionals to learn. I think it'll be a good, safe place for you to make mistakes and learn from really experienced people and also create relationships in competing firms. I would say the safest trajectory for immigrant architects is uh, to try to find a place that does mentor. I think that's your number one goal. And then try to find a place that will give you sponsorship. I know many of us want to stay in America and sponsorship is important, but I think your career is really hinged on a healthy mentorship environment because you have now with the STEM extensions, you have three years. So first look for mentorship and then look for sponsorship.
6: Shahad, Sadek, I I have a couple of questions for you. I see that you have a huge network. And I would like to know more about that. How were you able to to build and establish your network? That's one. And the second question that that I have, you mentioned mentorship. And that's, I think, something very important uh, that firms uh, can take a look at and can maybe include into their policies and practices. Um, So I would like to hear your experience on on both uh, areas, your network, how you created that, and also the mentoring part?
5: Yeah, I'll start with a network conversation because that's how it led to mentorship, focus on mentorship. So I came to Kansas City, Missouri with no connections and no knowledge for the industry. Um, and it really just started at AIA Kansas City. I made a connection with a friend and with somebody there and we had a commonality and we were interested in the same thing and we just ended up talking. And I mean, I was fortunate with her because she was on the AIA board, but it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter how connected she is. It, what matters was finding somebody you are connected with. And in that way, I've built a, I've started by building this first relationship with someone from Kansas City who went to school in Missouri, who, you know, have lived in Kansas City for a long time. And so that was kind of the foot in the door. And um, being involved in a committee um, leading a committee, it's kind of scary, right? You're going in, you don't know anyone in the industry. You don't know anyone in the city. And you're like, I'm just going to lead this committee. <laughs> but because it's not just me alone, it was me and her together. She had all the connections as well. So you don't have to have someone who's deeply connected to help you connect. Honestly, You could just, but she was deeply connected. So that helped me understand how to form those relationships. However, that said, um, I ended up developing my own developing my own relationships, but by just leading a committee, I'm not saying that as an international student, just walk in and lead a committee, because that's intimidating, but be part of a committee, be part of something you're passionate about, and just talk to people and start connecting with people. I mean, friends of friends of friends of friends, right? And that's how it kind of like accelerated really quickly. And um, everyone wanted to have a conversation about equity and architecture. So I just kind of like, I was on the pulse, right? Like that's how my network got much bigger faster because it was something that was of interest um, in the industry. And so like we we're able, to, a lot of people were opening their doors to us. And so there were so many conversations happening that way. And AIA Kansas City was instrumental in pushing forward the equity conversation. So they made they helped us make these connections. I mean, I made a connection with you through, you know, through, um, AIA, right? Like he had sent an email asking for people and they gave him my name. So um, it was just such a hot topic that it was easy to make a connection. And because we were, we we're all in this experimental universe called equity, all of us are like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? So like, everyone's just naturally drawn to talking to each other. Cause we were just like, man, like there's no precedent for this. Right. So like, let's Let's have a discussion. let's find out what lessons learned you had. and I mean, it was just so perfect, right? When George Floyd happened, we call it the George Floyd happening, but when you know when George floyd, um, this is such a devastating story, right? like but it but it mobilized so many companies, um, and they, the company started looking for people. And because this network of equity people were already pre-connected, it was just so easy to, you know, mobilize people and start kicking into gear. And that's us say that it was easy, right? We had to learn a lot of things. We had to shift our focus. I had to learn to shift my focus because my focus was workplace sustainability, which really focused on mentorship. And that's what Graciela is asking about. Um, I, from my own experience of not having the right mentor, not having um, the, the right opportunities to develop in the office, I sought for... You know what what are other people doing like I, I kind of wanted to build benchmarks from other people and um, to see like where are you at at this level and where should I have been you know what I should have been doing so that was my focus for the equity portion right and and for the for the three years in the equity sphere I was focused on how do we develop potential how do we develop people's potential It was less focused on, the race issue and the diversity issue as much and but it was tremendously helpful because it's again it's you know how do you help people reach their full potential and that is like understanding their pinch points and understanding how to like overcome these obstacles and be able to support them and so when the conversation about diversity and you know how do we support people with minority backgrounds and with um uh, or international students and so on, it's all the same, right? It's all the same mechanism of how do you spot the pinch points and how do you develop a program around it? How do you make sure you help them reach their full potential? So that's where our mentorship kind of came about. And also, like because of the search for mentorship, there was a concerted effort for us to um, talk to firms about what their mentorship programs were. So we were able to accumulate like you know, how are you mentoring? What are you teaching? And so understanding the different ways firms were mentoring helped us see, you know, what are some ways that are more effective than others and um, helped us develop like a suggested program. But in the end, actually, Gracilia was instrumental in New York for developing um, like a, a an award or is it a certification for for, school, for firms if they are
4: supporting
6: emerging professionals Mm -hmm. yeah exactly thank you so much I love that I love I I, every time I talk to you I learn more about your story and now I would like to introduce Gloria Clotter Gloria I would like you to share that experience that you have retaining jobs like how was at the beginning you just coming here trying to open you know uh, opportunities for you how was that experience and what challenges did you have to go through
3: Um, Getting my first job here, which really, I only had one job before opening my firm, Uh, but I struggled to get that one job because I, um, when I came and as I explained, thinking that I could just open my firm and I couldn't, um, then I realized pretty quickly, well, I need to get a job because I needed to start making money. (laughs) (laughs) And pay bills, and um, it was hard for me because uh, the lack of knowledge in certain systems in general really affected me. And and this is more related to the immigration part. But when I came with my husband, um, I thought I was going to be able to start working right away, no matter what. And that didn't apply either. That didn't happen either because I came with a tourist visa, and I needed to switch to the green card visa. And the green card. Process alone was longer than I expected. I spent a lot of months just waiting for it without having the right to work, making any money. So that affected our finances. And then when I finally got um, the green card visa, and I was able to start working, then I realized that my architectural license was not valid. And then, then it was about getting a job. Well, that whole experience was a nightmare in a way because I didn't have. A resume ready. Let's start with that because I didn't came thinking I was going to have to get a job. I was just going to start my firm. So I had my resume and my portfolio was pretty outdated and it was all in Spanish, which is, which is my na- native language. And um, it was just really hard for me to translate because even I will ask my husband, which, you know, he's American, he was born and raised here in uh, Florida. And I will ask him, like, how do you translate this word? Or like, what is the proper way this, again, going back to that technicality? And he was like, I've never heard of this scene. Like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Parapet? What's that? Like, I don't know what we're talking about. Um, so I think it was hard for me first uh, understanding how to translate my portfolio and my um, my resume. But then I applied to several jobs. And I was not getting uh, the jobs that I was applying for. And I felt that, uh, you know how they said that sometimes we women can be like, we feel that we need to check all the <laughs> all the um, boxes to feel that we are uh, capable of taking on to that one job. I keep hearing that kind of same example. I think I'm one of those. I actually uh, identify myself like that. I feel like if I'm missing one box, I might not be able to, uh, you know, to um, take into this job. I shouldn't apply to it. So every time I actually applied to a job, I always felt that I was capable of taking into the job, and then I was not getting it. So long story short, what happened was that there was this one specific job that I really, from all the ones I I applied, this one I really, really wanted, and I didn't get it. So I took Took heart and said, I'm going to reach out back to them and ask them, what is it? What can I improve? What, you know, what is it that I'm missing if they can give me some feedback of what I can improve on my, the way that I'm presenting my portfolio or what is it that I'm missing? And they said that the reason why they selected this other candidate was because, my portfolio and resume was not really clear to them. They were not really fully understanding my level of experience, um, what my previous positions in other jobs and even in my previous company that I own. What what was it? What was my role and what those roles meant? What were my responsibilities within those roles and within every project I presented in my portfolio? What what is the specifics that I did? Because again, to me, back in the DR, I will say, Oh, I am an architect, and I was the architect of this project and the GC and I build it. And it's like they're like, What what are you talking about? Like I don't, I don't understand that. And and the fact that I will say I was the architect to them. And, not much either, because it's like what you were the, the project architect. Did you project manage it or did you work in this part of the production and you did the life safety, but someone else did this other part, like who did the details and who did the, the schematic design of it? Did you do everything or you did a part of it? And I don't think I understood that when I came to this country. I don't think uh, until, especially until I started working in my previous job that I saw how much um, you can get segregated into your functions because back in the DR, I could get a project and do it from start to finish on my own. And to me, the fact that I was set in my portfolio, I was the architect, meant that I was taking on to all of that, but that wasn't really clear to them. So I learned after that, they gave me a lot of feedback on, you know, if you specify here what you did and this and that and da, da, da. So I went back, I reframed everything, really were more meticulous into what everything meant and what I did for every project and what I did for every position that I had in the past. And immediately I did that is when I got a pretty straightforward offer in the previous job I had for 4 years even so again I didn't know Revit and I admitted to them I don't know building codes um but I want to learn I don't know Revit but I want to learn but this is what I bring to the table and this is the experience I have and I think one thing that is important for every company in general that is hiring someone that, that is coming from a different country is being open minded on what this person can bring to the table because there is a lot of things that are very easy to Teach—it's very technical stuff that are you can expose that person for a week or two, and they will learn pretty easily. Uh, but there's things you cannot teach, and the personality, the mentality, the team team player type of mentality, uh, the hardworking way of being, and and just that energy—it's something that. It's something that I feel is should be the focus and also understanding that someone that is coming from a different country that have seen have has been exposed to maybe uh, more freedom on design because of maybe the building codes there are less stringent it kind of brings something to the table of maybe challenging because sometimes I feel that we're so stringed with certain things that the codes and the, uh, the budget limit us so much when we're in the process of designing a project that we can get contained into this box. And I think having someone that is coming with a different perspective can help you and your team refresh the whole process of How to think about this design from the beginning and how to look at it from a different point of view, just because, as Graciela is saying, you know, we come from countries that we don't have to deal as much with HBAC systems because not every project actually has it. Sometimes we barely have a, a split unit in some of the projects, and that's it. So it depends. But at the same time, then we have a lot to think of sustainability and cross ventilation. And how do you make this? building work whenever there's no energy because that happens that's a reality to us so if your project is very sustainable maybe an immigrant is the great is a great person to put their hands on it and help you to see it from their perspective and their own experiences you know and just 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 a little add to the table on you know this is what I live versus what you've lived and and I think that's very important.
0: Let's take a break from this conversation to talk about our sponsor of this episode, Monograph. We're proud to partner with Monograph because they are helping to transform the practice of architecture, one design studio at a time.
1: Tired of using dated and clunky software to manage your firm? Or do you feel frustrated wrangling all of your spreadsheets to get a clear view of where your project stands today? Monograph is here to help.
0: Designed by architects for architects, Monograph allows you to track your time, your projects, and your budgets in real time. With their awesome gant, you can immediately understand project performance across your entire firm portfolio.
1: Need to adjust your projects week to week? Their new tool, Resource, allows you to reallocate your team's time and track its impact on your remaining budget.
0: Be proactive with Monograph. And Twinmotion. Now, you've probably heard of Zaha Hadid Architects. As one of the world's best-known firms when it comes to innovation, they're big fans of pushing boundaries. The team at ZHA has started using Twinmotion, a simple, real-time archivist tool that lets you instantly visualize ideas and clearly communicate them to stakeholders.
1: ZHA designer Marco Margetta says that the benefit of using Twinmotion for the designers are the simplicity of the interface, the playfulness with which you can articulate your scenes, and not having to worry about all the technical aspects that real-time usually brings, like light maps,
0: PBR workflows, and other technical details. Marco also loves Twinmotion Cloud, which lets any member of the team access a project from their web browser without a single download or installation. The project manager can access the model, review it, and immediately give you feedback anytime from anywhere, says Marco.
4: To
1: download your exclusive free trial, head to TwinMotion.link Disrupted. That's TwinMotion.link Disrupted.
2: My name is Yuok. I came to the state in when I was 17 years old and um, studied two years of community college in California and then um, eventually graduated my Bachelor of Architecture in Iowa. So I've been in different part of the country, experiencing different part of uh, the culture. Um, I now am in Culver City, California. I have my small practice. Um, we used to have like um, four or five people, but because of the COVID, um, we we downsized it a little bit. And then we can talk about, I'll talk about it a little bit. Um, so right after I graduated college, um, I really want to try to have a career here in the U.S. and 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 if I have to say, I have to be honest, like it's really hard to get a job. I mean, I know that you have to understand like what you're getting into, but I had no choice. I had pretty much have to take whatever um, offers I had that 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 was available to me. And uh, so I ended up with working for like a small firm in California. And they're really small. They're not really exciting. You know, the stuff that they do are boring. But, you know, once a while, um, that firm will get a couple of really exciting new projects. But for some reason, I was not on any of these projects. It's always headed by the principal and a couple of white guys, interns or whatever. You know, I, I never I never get work on any of the glamorous projects. I was stuck on like bathroom remodel window replacements and and that, and that kind of crap, I mean, you call it. But that, that really really makes me, that kind of gives me the motivation that, okay, I need to start, start my own firm. I need to do my own thing because I want to design. And at a point, I, I miss design so much that I spend a lot of time on my own doing competitions and uh, entering design awards. And and that's kind of over the time. It is kind of how I develop my portfolio and eventually um get on my own. But you know, of course, after you you, you start your own firm, you realize that you you keep doing like platform remodels and and window replacement because it, it's really hard to get like exciting job as you expected. But you know, at least you you get on it on your own. So I mean, I didn't. I don't want to sound like I. I was being discriminated against um, when I was working for someone because I, I, don't, I don't think so because I, I often reflect upon it. And, and I, I love my boss. I mean, my first boss, he, he was the one who um, sponsored my um, uh, green card, you know, like the, the HV, uh, H1 visa. I worked for him for almost nine years. So I, I think he's a, he's a nice guy um, deep down. But so why, why do I always get to work on these stupid projects? And, and why, why, why don't I get the chance? And, and I think part of the reason is um, my language. And, and I think it's very typical for a lot of immigrants. And there's no way that I can get rid of my accents, even to this day. And I've been here for what, like more than 20 years? I still have an accent. And, and when I first came here, like people laugh at me, my coworker. Uh, always laugh at me, they call me antisocial, because during lunchtime, they would sit in the conference room having lunch, talk about American pop culture, sports, like old movie and all that. I have no idea what what the heck they were talking about. So I would end up like sitting in my own cubicle, uh, browsing internet and have my lunch. I never go out to to buy fast food. I always cook my, my lunch, bring it, heat it up. And that was my routine. People say that, Why Why are you antisocial? I mean, but it's because I was afraid to speak. I don't want to get laughed at. And and that's why, that's the real reason why I decided to sit on my own.
6: You mentioned something important, you, and it was how you were treated as an antisocial because you didn't want to be part of, like, the culture and the conversation because of the accent and the language barrier. And when you said that, I felt completely identified to my, like, first couple of years in this country. People don't believe me when I say that I was super shy, like I didn't want to talk to anybody. My accent was so, so heavy, even though the first thing that I did here was enrolling to English as a second language classes. I tried to get any book, any TV show, whatever in English. I tried not to even mingle with Spanish people so I could get like people that speak English in my class, so I could learn from them. But then when I went to work, I didn't want to talk to anybody at the beginning. And forget about even going to AIA events and seminars and lectures. I would have like anxiety. I don't want anybody to talk to me. I will be in a corner just listening to the lecture, but don't talk to me. I don't want to interact. And what I did at that time was of course trying to break that barrier but believe it or not I was already an architect I even got my license already and I got a job uh, selling sunglasses while I was doing full-time architecture architectural work because that was my way of going out and exposing myself to people that don't know me, don't know my background, they don't know I'm an architect, they don't know I'm from Colombia, and I need to break that ice and go to them and sell glasses. And guess what? I was super successful selling glasses because I broke that barrier and that job allowed me to communicate with people. And then, of course, my leadership path during my AIA years, that also helped me into breaking that barrier. But it's something that sometimes... Uh, Firms are not very understanding on what. Why is that immigrant so, you know, isolated? Why they don't want to interact? Why they don't want to, you know, come along? It's just because of that. There is a big cultural barrier and language barrier that we have to overcome. And then on top of that, you add that you have a personality that is not very social. So guess what? It's a completely disaster. But as we as we build our network and as we help each other, and that's what we're doing with the Immigrants Architects Coalition, is to help them overcome all those different barriers, not only educational, professional, cultural, all of it. And, and that, that is basically what helped me.
3: To add to that, real quick, um, just because you really spot something, Graciela, from what uh, you were saying, one of the things that affects the most. Um, to immigrants in this part of the language barrier and the struggles that we have with that self-consciousness with our essence and um sometimes people again around us uh, to be honest and, and just to to give grace to those around us most of the time they don't mean harm and you will find some people that are mean because they're mean i get it but a lot of people are not and they just they just don't understand what what it means and what it feels being in our shoes because they haven't lived it. They most of the time they only speak one language and they can speak it very well and they don't understand what it how it feels to put yourself out there and trying to speak someone else's language in their territory and with their accent and with you know with their customs and stuff. It's just hard to for them to identify themselves with it. But I think what I'm trying to say is. Uh, One of the things that I've noticed that affects a lot to immigrants architects is that we don't get the opportunities because of that to even being exposed in front of the clients. We don't get the opportunity to be the ones leading those meetings and presenting the projects into the bigger crowd because um, there's always that fear that we are not going to be understood, that the client might be frustrated about not understanding our words, and maybe too we don't have or we don't project that confidence that sometimes our bosses would like us to have when we're presenting because we we should be a uh, kind of uh, transmitting that leadership role, right? And I think uh, you both brought a very good point into it's okay at some point to let go and understanding this is my accent and I need to embrace it. It is what it is. Uh, obviously trying to improve as much as possible because even if you have an accent, having an accent is one thing and it's just part of who you are and your roots and that's good. That's something that we need to embrace. But I think it's a part of, if if our accent is making us not not being understood, then it's a problem that we can address. That is very different having an accent and not being understood is two different things and I think as Graciela is saying taking those classes or as you said like you know there's things you can do about it taking those uh, uh, speech uh, classes that you took help help you to kind of overcome that and that's totally okay because yes we want to be understood but I I think there's a separation and we need to understand as immigrants what it means being understood and what it means having an accent is two separate since then we should we should separate them mentally because uh it's just it's just different and it, it can make us feel that there's something wrong with us and it can make us feel limitations within our jobs and kind of hitting that glass ceiling just because I can never be the project architect presenting in front of this group because they will never let me present. You know what I'm saying? And that's not fair to us. That's not fair to anybody.
2: And, I've, and I think it's a cultural thing too, you know? Uh, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when I was a kid, I mean, we were taught to be obedient, you know? We always like, we never raised hand and, and answer questions and all that. And I think that, that kind of mentality is is built into us but here i mean it's, it's a very different culture and and you got to speak up you know you got to show yourself i mean and as a firm owner i hate i hate to say that you have to constantly brag about your work i mean that that's just like something that is is a cultural differences i for the for lack of a better word
6: okay so you 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 talk about uh and gloria to uh owning your own firm like opening your practice um I would like to share my experience. I have not opened a practice in this country, of course. Uh, I have worked for firms uh, for the past 17 years, Uh, but I would like to share a little bit about my experience on how I came here and how how is that process for people that have work visa. So, uh, a little bit related to Shahad, going back to the first uh, part of the interview, she came here with asylum visa, a uh, uh, student. But then she applied for the asylum. I could have gone the same way because I literally left my country because of safety issues. I was working for the government at that time. Uh, my boss got killed, and of course, I was like the, the second in line. So they told me, "You're you're gonna have to change your life." And I said, "I don't want to live like this." <laughs> so I reached out to my brother. He was already here. He's an engineer. So thank God he had contacts. He could. Open a few interviews for me, I was hired, well, I was uh, uh, accepted by a few, so I, I got one. I had to wait in my country for my work visa to come here, and, and once I, I started here with the work visa, it felt like I needed to stay with them for my work visa period and also my green card because ultimately my goal was to go through the work visa and then apply for the green card or the permanent resident so I could stay here. Otherwise, uh, at the end of the work visa, I would have to go back to Colombia and I didn't want that. So I went through the two work visas. I had to extend the first one. Uh, And of course, I'm locked into my company. Thank God that I was happy. It was a good fit but I have heard from other peers that they talk to me and they are completely miserable. It's not a good fit. It's not a good experience, but yet they are stuck in that company because the work visa is in between. And when you have a work visa, it's not like, oh, I don't want this job or it's not a good fit for me. I'm going to go get another one. No, because you have to do all over again that process and it's not an easy process uh, the the company really want needs to sponsor you all the way financially with all the paperwork so it's not it's not an option for us uh, coming with a work visa so thank god that i didn't have that position but still i felt obligated to stay with the with the firm for for the time of the work design, also the permanent residence and then once I achieved that I stayed there still because I thought I could learn more it was the type of work that I liked it was an engineering firm I love engineering I'm an architect engineer person so it, 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 it worked it work out good but Usually what happens is you get your green card and then you look for opportunities. And sort of that happened to me. Like I got my green card, then I got my citizenship because I was not happy with just the green card. I was like, they can kick me out at any time. So I'm just going to apply for my citizenship. I did that. And once I became a citizen, then I was like, I felt like I'm free, you know, like after all these years, I have my own freedom. I can do whatever I want. I don't own any, owe anything to anybody. So it, 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 it's basically the experience that any other immigrant would go if they are here with the work visa. You are definitely tied to that company until you achieve permanent, permanent status.
1: Hi Disruptors, if you like the content from today's show, you can find all of our past episodes over on practiceofarchitecture.com slash podcast.
0: Be a part of the conversation by joining us, our speakers, and others in our community at practiceofarchitecture.com slash community. Our social media handle is at practiceofarch. That's at practice of A-R-C-H. We love to hear from you. Drop us a note to say hello.
1: This show is part of Gable Media. You can learn more about other podcasts and video channels in our community by visiting
0: gablmedia.com. Thank you for joining us on Practice Disrupted, a podcast by Practice of Architecture. Tune in next week for a new conversation on change in the profession.